Okay. Zen Mind, Beginner's Mind. Um, I have never read it. A little bit about me. I, we have a sister temple called Green Gold Farm. I moved there 19 years ago and have been with the Zen Center for 15 of those 19 years. So I kind of knew I was a lifer going in. And so Suzuki Roshi is the founder of this temple, City Center, and also our monastery in Big Sur called Tassahar. He died a year before they, they started Green Gulch. And so when I got there, I thought, I'm not going to read Zen Mind Beginner's Mind. We have every lecture he ever gave in these spiral-bound notebooks. And I was like, it's the actual verbatim transcript. Let's do it. So I read every single one in the first year. And then years later, I realized those are the talks he gave at Zen Center. He did not give these talks at Zen Center. So I've actually never read this book. And if you live here long enough, people quote from this book a lot. And every time somebody would quote from this book, I would just be floored, like blown away. Like, oh my God, it's amazing. And so I kind of just committed to never reading this book because I love getting it in that way. This sort of, I'm not, no, it's almost like if you have a song that you really like, and if you go out of your way to hear it, it's not as great as just randomly hearing it. You know, you just, if you're not expecting it, it'll just hit you in a completely different way. So I'll tell you a little bit about this book. Um, these are talks given at someone's house in Los Altos. And for those of you maybe not from the Bay Area, it's near what is now Silicon Valley. I don't know what it was like in the 60s. It's now maybe the richest area in the world, but I don't know if it was that way in the 60s when Suzuki she was there, although legend has it, uh, Steve Jobs actually went to that sitting group and might have heard some of these talks. Suzuki Roshi would give talks and the host would record them. And then one of his students decided to actually write them out and edit them. And so her name was Trudy Dixon. And Suzuki Roshi, when the book was published, you know, people would say, uh, oh, you know, really love this book. You know, it's such a great teaching. And he would say, great, I didn't write it. He would say, Trudy wrote it. Um, and, he, and before it came out, he said, I'm really looking forward to reading this book that you wrote. You know? <laughs> um, and he w actually wasn't bluffing. Uh, this book is... I'm pretty sure the best-selling book on Zen in English, and I really do think it resonates the way I was talking about it. It seems to just hit me right in the heart, and I'm, I believe, I've come to believe over the years that Trudy Dixon had a lot to do with that. Um, when I say Suzuki Roshi wasn't bluffing when he said she wrote it, she actually wanted, she died uh, right before it was published of cancer. And she was only in her 20s. And at her funeral, Suzuki Roshi started sobbing. And he said, I will never have a student as great as Trudy Dixon. And he didn't just say that at, you know, he wasn't just saying that because it was her funeral. They had three more memorial ceremonies for her 
over the next you know, year plus. And what, uh, what some of the other students were saying is that nobody ever had that many memorial ceremonies for them, and definitely not that long after they died. I mean, she really meant that much to the community. And her ashes are at Tassajara with Suzuki Roshi's ashes. And the only other people whose uh, remains are with Suzuki Roshi's and Trudy's are Katagiri Roshi, who was the other Japanese teacher who started Zen Center with Suzuki Roshi, and Trumpa Rinpoche, who is Pema Chodron's teacher. Some of you might have heard of him. So that's pretty amazing company. Um, nobody else is there, and I even just asked, just to make sure our current abbot, I asked if any of the other abbots of Zen Center that have passed away, are their ashes are there, and he said no. So those are the only people. And so I thought I would read, you know, the collective energy of this room and all this gratitude we've been cultivating and this goodwill, the 35th chapter. So let's see what it says. It's called calmness. Maybe some of you came here for that. Calmness. Guys, seriously, I don't know you, right? We've never met. This is the, okay. So I just said, try and pick up a meditation where even the bad stuff is something you're grateful for. First sentence of this chapter. For Zen students, a weed is a treasure. <laughs> I mean, we should really just end on a high note, right? <laughs> okay. Here's the, here's the chapter. A Zen poem says, After the wind stops, I see a flower falling. Because of the singing bird, I find the mountain calmness. After the wind stops, I see a flower falling. Because of the singing bird, I find the mountain calmness. So this is... Oh yeah, I'm not just going to read it. I'll talk about it a little bit. This is about seeing the whole in the part. Just a big thing in Zen. Good and bad. So the wind, the wind stops, and you might think, oh, thank God the wind stops. No one likes the wind. The wind is very difficult. I, I ride a bicycle a lot. The wind is very difficult. You might think I'm very grateful that this wind stopped, but then it also caused this flower to be destroyed. Yeah. So you're, you're left with that. You're still left with that. And then, because of the singing bird, I find the mountain calmness. So it's even hearing the sound of the bird. That's the mountain calmness. The state of the mountain as what it is. Can you find that mountain calmness? And then, of course, here we have sirens. We have garbage trucks. Can you find the quote-unquote mountain calmness? 
in the natural noise of the city. Before something happens, this is Suzuki Roshi now, before something happens in the realm of calmness, we do not feel calmness. Only when something happens within it do we find the calmness. There is a Japanese saying, for the moon there is a cloud, for the flower there is the wind. When we see a part of the moon covered by a cloud or a tree or a weed, we feel how round the moon is. But when we see the clear moon without anything covering it, we do not feel that roundness the same way we do when we see it through something else. When you are doing zazen, You are within the complete calmness of your mind. You do not feel anything. You just sit. But the calmness of your sitting will encourage you in your everyday life. So actually, you will find the value of Zen in your everyday life, rather than while you sit. But this does not mean you should neglect meditation. Even though you do not feel anything when you sit, If you do not have this Zazen experience, you cannot find anything. You just find weeds or trees or clouds in your everyday life. You do not see the moon. That is why you are always complaining about something. But for Zen students, a weed, which for most people is worthless, is a treasure. With this attitude, whatever you do, life, becomes an art. So again, the um, nothing is what it is without being contrasted with what it isn't. And so that's this seeing the moon through a cloud. You don't really understand the moon until it's obscured. And similarly, that is beautiful. You don't feel the calmness of the awareness that's with you at all times unless you experience the thoughts that are running over that awareness. So we have this ability, I think, to completely identify with thinking and with thought and the thinking mind. And that usually takes us places that we generally don't want to go or we sort of don't see the the road all the way down until we get there. And then that leads to suffering. And then we want to find this peace or calmness or happiness, right? That seems to be uh, eluding us. And so I actually do think the first great awakening in meditation, and this is why uh, meditation early meditation instruction is either a mantra or the breath. What a mantra does is it just gives your thinking a very specific thing to do. And the breath also gives, at the very least, your attention a very specific thing to do. And what that does is it creates a more uniform backdrop to see 
the awareness that all of that thinking is happening in. And once you can, and I've talked about this before, but once you can sort of unvelcro the thinking from the awareness or you know, delaminate the thinking from the awareness that the thinking is happening in, you will notice that that awareness is infinite and vast and so much deeper a part of you than any thinking could ever be. And in that awareness is peace. In that awareness is this calmness. And it is always with you. You wouldn't be here if it wasn't. It never changes other than the thoughts running through it. It's the, really the only change that it experiences. It is always the ground of these thoughts, and it is always accessible. And if you can really get in it through meditation, you will find that it has no characteristics. Because it has no characteristics, it has no boundaries. It can't belong to you. It can't belong to anyone else. And it welcomes everything. So everything you don't want to be thinking, unfortunately, has already been welcomed by that awareness for you to even not like it. This is the way in which a weed becomes a treasure. This thought I don't want to have, this feeling I don't want to have, there is a deeper wisdom that has already welcomed it and understood the perfection of that exact feeling or that exact thought. It has already understood the wisdom of that exact feeling or that, that exact thought happening right now. And the interplay of those two things, of, of those levels of being this thinking mind or the feeling body and the awareness that all of that is happening in. That is you know, the moon with clouds passing over it. And you can only understand the moon when you're with the clouds passing over it. And he said, and the big thing in this school is that um, I don't want to scare anyone away, but you don't get anything out of this practice. Like that's up front too. I hope I hope other people say that because it really is. It's up front, Suzuki Roshi. Even though you do not feel anything when you sit, uh, Suzuki Roshi's big thing was called no gaining idea. We sit without trying to get anything. And I guess I'll just kind of spin it and say, the reason we're not trying to get anything is because this grand awareness that I'm talking about, it, it's not going to arrive. It's already been here the whole time. In fact, it is you. And it's taking on 
whatever perspective you have that you call myself. So there's nothing to get. You're, you're already here. And but as somebody said, somebody who's not even a Zen person or a Buddhist person said, you know, we don't, you don't meditate so that you can be calm on the cushion, right? You meditate so you can be calm the rest of your life. So it's, it's an interesting interplay. And I think what Suzuki Roshi is pointing to, though, is the need to not reject any, any of these levels and to not seek any single state. So even when you're in your daily life, in all this busyness, this awareness is always there. Whether you, it's very hard to talk about. Anyway, whether the thoughts carry away, they get carried away, and the awareness gets forgotten, it's always there. So even though you gain nothing when you sit, this will help you in your daily life. See a weed as a treasure. Back to the book. When you practice zazen, you should not try to attain anything. See? You should just sit in the complete calmness of your body and not rely on anything. Just keep your body straight without leaning over or against something. To keep your body straight means not to rely on anything. In this way, physically and mentally, you will obtain complete calmness. But to rely on something or to try to do something in zazen is dualistic and not complete calmness. And yeah, so it's very nice of Suzuki Rishi to point out how dualistic I was just being by um, separating this awareness from this thinking mind. So all of it is happening together and separating them at all is just a mental, mental fabrication, which is just more thinking. More thinking, I will say, which is completely welcome by this perfect awareness that allows it all to happen and understands the wisdom of all of it. But we're not relying on, on getting anywhere or getting any specific state. Somebody, this teacher who spoke here on Saturday quoted a teacher on, um, the teacher said, I forget the quote, but it was, enlightenment is when you completely stop in yourself the hope that things can be different than the way they are. Absolutely beautiful, right? I want to take it a step further and say, and I'm sure the teacher who said this would, would say the same thing, hoping things are different with them the way they are is the way things are right now, if that's what's happening. So can you find a level that even welcomes that, that even that understands the way, hoping the way things were different, hoping that things were different than the way they are, understanding how that causes difficulty and accepting it when it happens and completely understanding how it's welcomed and how it functions 
and everything that happened before that led to this habit that is still in the process of sort of unraveling and digesting itself. In our everyday life, we are usually trying to do something, trying to change something into something else, or trying to attain something. Just this trying is already in itself an expression of our true nature. The meaning lies in the effort itself. We should find out the meaning of our effort before we attain something. So, I think that's pretty much what I just said. So even the hope that things could be different than the way they are is actually a type of freedom if you can find it. If you can not hope to not hope that things were different than the way they are. Which in, in, these, in this way of saying it is trying to change something into something else is also an expression of our true nature. Dogen said, Dogen is that philosopher who said bringing a benefit to others is the greatest way to bring benefit to yourself. Said we should attain enlightenment before we attain enlightenment. So my feeling about that is, um, and my teacher, all he has said, Zen practice begins with enlightenment. And what I think that means tonight is what I was saying that whatever you are going to get by getting enlightened is already here and it's the only thing that could be bringing you to this practice in the first place it is the perspective that thinks it's you coming to a practice to get something out of it it is already completely fulfilled as you trying to get something from not just this practice but maybe anything you do in life trying to get something out of whatever you're doing is being done by all things which are completely fulfilled and in harmony with each other and I think if you continue this practice, that will actually become more apparent every single day. It is not after attaining enlightenment that we find its true meaning. Trying to do something in itself is enlightenment. When we are in difficulty or distress, there we have enlightenment. When we are in defilement, we should have composure. Usually, we find it very difficult to live in the evanescence of life, but it is only within the evanescence of life that we can find the joy of eternal life. Which is more important, to attain enlightenment or to attain enlightenment before you attain enlightenment? To make a million dollars? Now you're talking. Okay. Okay. To make a million dollars or to enjoy your life in your effort, little by little, even though it is impossible to make that million, to be successful, or to find some meaning in your effort to be successful. If you do not know the answer, you will not even be able to practice Zazen.
If you do know, you will have found the true treasure of life. So um, my friend took a class at, in college, and it was on Zen. And he said the first, the first day, the first thing the professor said was, this is always the hardest moment of the class because right now you know more about Zen than you ever will. And then the professor proceeded to teach the end entire semester, so sort of thereby ruining the students. So I'll read that paragraph one more time. Which is more important, to attain enlightenment or to attain enlightenment before you attain enlightenment? To make a million dollars or to enjoy your life in your effort, little by little, even though it is impossible to make that million. To be successful, or to find some meaning in your effort to be successful. If you do not know the answer, you will not even be able to practice zazen. If you do know, you will have found the true treasure of life.